to a very special edition of the LWE podcast. This is the one and only LWE Lee Collins. And today I'm joined by my longtime brother and uh, fellow comic book aficionado of all things film and screen. He is the one and only the Alan, the Alpha Ellis. Alpha, glad to have you here on what's going to be a really, really fun conversation today, brother. How you doing? I'm doing great. And with the Batman coming out later this week, it's the the future's bright for comic book movies. Well, yeah, I mean, I think we're in the we're in a little bit of a transitional stage with the genre, but overall as a whole, and in, 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 and I include what's come out since the pandemic started, I think things are definitely trending up. Uh, you just have to look at Spider-Man No Way Home to uh, get a confirmation of that, seeing what that movie was able to do and what it pulled off. But our focus today is on the Cape Crusader himself, Batman. And Batman has a very, very long history at the box office, which is kind of unique because it took him such a long time to get to the big screen um that many people including myself as a child growing up in the late 70s early 80s wonder if i ever would see a big screen batman um alan i have to take you back to those days because i remember seeing superman 2 at the old apollo theater in greenwood south carolina and knowing how much i love those superman movies when they first come out we always wondered what would it be like to get a Batman movie or a Spider-Man movie or a Hulk movie. We just wondered because we didn't have them. Well, we're going to talk about a little bit of the box office history with the Batman character, obviously because a brand new version of this Batman character is coming out this week and um, looking forward to seeing how this will do and how this will be received by the masses. Uh, Matt Reeves is uh, the maker of this film, Robert Pattinson from Twilight fame and, uh, not to be underestimated, has had quite a very, very good film career with some other great performances, but he's taken on the role of Batman Bruce Wayne. And this bodes to be a little bit different take on the character and maybe a welcome take at that, Alan, before we get into the history of the other films. Uh, what we know about this movie is this is probably going to be the first really in-depth look at Batman the Detective, which if you go back golden days of the comics especially in the 70s early 80s that was his niche he was the world's greatest detective and we've seen kind of hints of it at times before in the movies but nothing that's really been focused on it and so this movie tends to lean toward it. that's what we're going to get a detective thriller yeah finally we're getting a detective thriller like uh my favorite batman arc of all time the is the long halloween and just seeing that that side of things, that era of the character come to the screen is a welcome sight. And also just to go back, Twilight fame, don't don't brush this man off. Remember, he's Cedric Diggory from Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire as well. Yeah, and I, and I, and I said that because he has got, there's been a lot of uh, grief, I guess, and concern thrown. Yeah, it's been a, it's but that's, that's kind of been the history of this character on screen, right? I mean, because almost yeah. every iteration of him has come under some kind of scrutiny or questioning because, I mean, I guess everybody knows who their perfect Batman is, but, you know, nobody can ever seem to come into an agreement on it, which, hello, welcome to America. That's what that's the way things are these days. Um, okay. And but, it's fine. And Pattinson has had a lot of great roles in the last two years. Oh, yeah. Alone. He starred in... Uh, Christopher Nolan's Tenet, 
and he was also in uh, The Devil All the Time, that Netflix film that came out in 2020. Very good in both roles, and just seeing his acting chops, because after, uh, after Twilight did a bunch of indie films, like an unbelievable amount of indie films, and then finally kind of came back into the spotlight with Tenet, and it's been beautiful to see what he can actually do on screen when it's the script isn't as limited as Twilight was. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, again, this is this should be good. It, it's going to be long. It's about two hours and 50 minutes. Um, it is going to be a little bit darker take. It's going to be set kind of in the time frame of year two of Bruce Wayne being Batman. So we're probably going to see a little bit of a heavier movie from that perspective. I know there's already been some reviews and stuff that have come out talking about how uh, heavy this is and how uh, there's a lot of Batman on screen, not as much of the Bruce Wayne character and things like that. But uh, if you go from the storyline and the timeline of the comics, you will know that this is this is something that is actually really uh, true to the comics because it wasn't until later on that he really kind of got settled in into the Cape Crusader, the vigilante mode, as well as the Playboy millionaire, Bruce Wayne. And that kind of separated itself as two unique identities. But anxious to see how this movie will do. It, it's coming in with a $100 million budget, which if you think about superhero movies is really kind of a, a lower lower end uh, market, even though you know Batman technically doesn't have superpowers. So <laughs> you don't have to require on a lot of the special effects. But as far as... Uh, the scope of the movie and the scenery. That's what I'm going to be looking forward to. And and again, I'm looking forward to some new takes on some old characters. Obviously, the Riddler going to be the one of the main villains. He's going to get a really kind of a whole new remaking, kind of away from the clown-like villain that he's been portrayed as in the past, more of a you know serial killer kind of format. We're going to see a fresh take on Catwoman, obviously a fresh take on the Penguin, which I'm said – I've heard that it's going to be really good. So that's the exciting thing. We're getting to see some more iterations of these beloved characters. And, and by all intents and purposes, this is kind of a standalone movie in its own standalone universe as we are into the multiverses of superheroes now on the screen. It's fine with me. And just that's more comic booky anyway. It's these one-off stories every so often. There's loose connective threads through several different ones but every so often they'll change be like a new 52 situation or anything or have these one-off comics like like that's what what if was it's a bunch of yeah, what what if this happened and i i love seeing this it's we're not seeing batman like 10 years into everything when everything is already kind of settled we're seeing year two when still uh the Gotham city police force is still kind of skeptical of working with this guy. You're still seeing people trying to figure out if he's good or if he's bad. And I love taking these new takes. I like seeing penguin. I like seeing Oswald Cobblepot being more of a like gritty, more Kingpin style kind of guy. Yeah. And I love the, the take on the Riddler is going to be very interesting. It's more Zodiac than anything else. And Matt Reeves has already said his Batman, his Bruce Wayne is modeled in many ways after Kurt Cobain. Yeah. So it's, it's moody in a different way. 
Yeah, and I think that's where people are, will, will have to make their judgment call on on what the character is. And again, we're going to talk really kind of briefly over the chronological history of the character as it has been portrayed on the big screen. Um, so let's get into that real quick and, and just kind of walk through the timeline that is uh, Batman in the movies. Um, officially, if you want to go all the way back to 1943, was the very first time that Batman ever made the big screen. There was a, about a 15-chapter movie serial which serials were a big thing back in the day with westerns and other stuff but uh batman was the first superhero serial that had come out back in 1943 so technically that was the first iteration uh but it wasn't until 1966 where really batman exploded in pop culture because of the adam west burt ward tv show thus leading to them making a motion picture movie and the story behind this island which i thought was interesting um, the Batman series, the very first, very first season, which was on ABC, was a huge success, huge success. So what they decided to do was to make a full feature length movie, which was going to go directly from the first season into the second season. And basically what their plan was, because they had the budget to do a bigger movie, uh, they were able to create all of the Batman toys, the Bat Boat, the Bat Cycle, the Bat Copter. And later on in the series on TV, they could use that stock footage to kind of fill in with the TV production. So it was kind of like, let's spin now so we can have it for later. And that's basically what it ended up being. It wasn't a major release in the movie theaters. It only did about a little over $4 million, but uh, that really became the first official release of Batman. I remember when they re-released it for a short time back in the early 80s over at the Greenwood Mall and it's kind of a big deal to go and watch it because I, I love the TV show. It was campy, it was funny, it was very comic booky uh from that time frame. Um but that was really the first um iteration. Uh have you ever watched the whole 1966 movie Batman? I haven't seen the 1966 one, so that's that's one that needs to be on the list for uh going forward. I've seen the majority of the rest of the ones that have been in film, but I never got around to watching the Adam West one. Well, and the thing about it, it was so over the top and the villains really, really made that series because they had all kinds of people that came in to be the villains. And in this particular movie, you got the top four villains. You got Joker, Penguin, Catwoman and Riddler and all the portrayals in this movie were just unbelievable. The movie, the movie really wasn't that bad. If you liked the TV series, it was right along the same lines. It a little bit anticlimactic <laughs> to say the least. I, it, it's almost kind of like they didn't really have a true ending. So they just kind of like, okay, let's wrap this up so we can move on to the rest of the series. Um, but it's fun. It's good popcorn. And um, I love watching it with the commentary from Adam West and Burt Ward because they really give you a lot of good stuff. Um, but really, that was going to be the only on-screen Batman for a very, very long time. And so basically what you end up happening is a lot of the movie companies and TV companies were fighting for rights of all of these superheroes. And eventually, uh, Warner Brothers Pictures, which eventually became Time Warner, was kind of the original um, connecting source to DC movies. Warner Brothers was the one that distributed the original Superman movies. Warner Brothers made plans to make a full-on big screen Batman movie. And Alan, I can tell you this for a fact. To this day, and 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 don't get me wrong, there's been some other superhero movies, especially in the last 10 years or so, that have garnered a lot of hype and a lot of merchandise and a lot of 
uh, expectations. But I would dare say the bat the the Batman of 1989 by Tim Burton, the buildup and the hype to that movie was unlike anything I've ever seen. First of all, it was the first time Batman was going to have his very own full length movie since that 60s portrayal. And it was going to be a totally different tone. This was going to be more toward the Frank Miller Batman of the Dark Knight, the Dark Knight Return. More darker in, in situation. And so um, the thing that was so great about this was that Warner Brothers and DC Comics, they marketed the heck out of this thing. They had the, the baseball bubblegum cards. They had T-shirts. Everybody, if you didn't have a Batman T-shirt during that summer, it just wasn't cool. So the T-shirts were on sale. The comics got real hot again. All the anticipation. And then the movie comes out. And Michael Keaton was cast as the Batman. Jack Jack Nicholson was cast as the Joker. Um, Obviously, Michael Keaton being cast was a very, very controversial casting at the time because he had been mostly a comedy actor. And... A lot of people were wondering, could he do it? He was kind of short in stature, too. He wasn't really kind of tall and menacing. How was he going to be able to pull this off? And, man, did they pull it off. Um, 1999, if you go back out and look, it broke the record three times back then for opening weekend box office. The first one was the Indiana Jones sequel, which was $29.3 million. Then they had Ghostbusters 2, which was a sequel, 29.4 then batman comes in opens up 40.5 million dollars which back in 1999 was huge and um talk to me a little bit about this movie i'm, I'm pretty sure you probably have seen this one I, I would imagine but to me this one really stands out for a lot of reasons but let's talk about michael keaton first what were your thoughts about him as the batman in in the movie overall i i love batman 1989 it's one of my favorite comic book movies and that was before the the current not even revival but the the emergence of popular comic book films uh spider-man being the the first one to really break in in the current era in 02 and then the mcu starting in 08 this is well before that yeah and keaton incredible in the role tim burton did a a great job directing this movie and the sequel as well, but just proving and like Keaton, even to this day, still proving that he was the right choice for this character, uh, played a parody of the character, the fairly odd parents for close to seven years. I believe uh, he starred in Birdman. He starred in, uh, he played the villain in Spider-Man homecoming. Yep. He he's been comic booky for a long time after this and now he's coming back he's going to be in the new flash movie and he's also going to be appearing in a new batgirl movie so they have brought him back into that character to kind of round out that story arc yeah like finally round out the story arc and also we talk about the different eras of batman and all the different uh iterations of the character whether it's early on mid-range super late keaton easily went from He's the young, he's the five, six year down the line Batman in 1989 to all of a sudden he's old man Batman from, uh, I forget the comic line, but where he's been Batman for 50 years. Yeah. Well, it's just, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they play it out. 
um, and and whatnot. You know, I think it's going to be uh, interesting to see what they do to kind of keep him as a mainstay in the modern day DCEU. But going back off of Batman 1989, the movie really itself got a lot of notoriety because of Jack Nicholson's portrayal of the Joker, which we would have to do another separate Joker podcast. So I don't want to go down that that easily uh, tempted rabbit trail. Um, oh, you mean where Heath Ledger's the best one? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I could argue Mark Hamill. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of good iterations of the Joker. But again, we're not going there, Alan. We're not going down that that, that trail. Uh, but really, Jack Nicholson's portrayal of the Joker really was the thing that fueled the movie. Uh, and I, and again, I thought Keaton did a great job. I thought the look, the sound, everything about the movie was good for the time. It was a good way to kind of take the character in a new direction. Um, Nicholson obviously had a lot of screen time. He was he was the kind of the 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 shining star out of the whole thing. But I'll be honest with you, man. Um, musically, this might have had one of the bigger impacts from a music industry standpoint because you don't from you, you kind of forget that Prince put out an entire soundtrack that was written for the movie of songs that would be featured in the movie. One of them being the song called Bat Dance, which was probably the craziest song you've ever heard be number one on a Billboard Hot 100. Um, but most of all, maybe to this day, and I argue this still to this day, the greatest Batman theme of all time, that 1989 score by Danny Elfman, which later got used in the animated series. To me, that's Batman. I mean, to me, that gives me the same feeling as uh, the Imperial March, the music from Star Wars, Superman's theme, Raiders of the Lost Ark. It gives me that vibe. Um, that's the impact that movie had. I mean, so many ways. It, it made over $400 million worldwide. Which again, we're talking 1989. So you, you know, you roll inflation and price of tickets in there. I mean, you're talking that probably would have made a billion dollars back then, um, given the way the, the ticket rates are now. So, um, Batman '89, just a, a great movie, and I think it definitely is in the top five, maybe top three for all-time great Batman movies. Which leads us to its imposing sequel, which was no doubt going to happen. And it comes in the form of 1992's Batman's Returns, which definitely went a little bit darker and maybe even a little bit more highly suggestive as uh, Tim Burton goes with Danny DeVito, who had long been rumored to be the Penguin, but a much, much different take on the Penguin. And Michelle Pfeiffer, who a lot of people still say are is their favorite iteration of Catwoman, who was definitely... Uh, uh, you knew when she was on the screen. Let's just put it bluntly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I think the thing about this movie is it did not do as well at the box office. It had a great opening weekend, but it only finished at 162 million domestically. Um, and I think a lot of it, a lot of the things that hurt the movie, and there's a lot of people that like the movie. There's parts I like as well, but obviously the the, the story arc with the penguin was way darker. I think than people thought it was going to go, and it just didn't have it, it felt like it was a little bit more uh commercialized from the look as as from 89 which was really gritty and, and heavy you know the scenery and stuff really made that movie in 89 um so what are your thoughts about batman returns michael keaton again is batman here um i thought maybe a little bit better performance from him in this movie even because he had a lot more screen time in this one yeah, I'm, I think you can be a better actor in a worse movie, and I think that's exactly what Keaton was in Batman Returns. Not a bad movie by any standards, but when you're comparing it to the 
darn near masterpiece that was Batman 1989. That's kind of hard to reach up there. And uh, did the math a minute ago that $400 million that Batman made in 1989 with inflation is about $925 million. So just short of a billion dollars in today's money. Yeah. And uh, so it, it came and it went. And a lot of people were left in question about where the, the series was going to go because Michael Keaton announced he was not going to be returning. Tim Burton obviously was having some issues um, with the movie company, Warner Brothers, trying to go forward. So they hand off the reins to Joel Schumacher, who was a little bit even more different taste than what Tim Burton was. And the the way the the things played out, it goes into the movie Batman Forever in 1995, which was really more of a throwback to... um, kind of the 60s series in a way if you look at it it was really it was over the really top campy. it was really campy it was really campy it was really over top very colorful very bright um and you had a new batman in val kilmer who obviously had had a lot of success during the 80s and 90s um not too many people were going to argue against that i think he was a little bit more subdued uh portrayal of batman bruce wayne than even Keaton was at the time. But, you know, the big things with this movie is you had Val Kilmer, you had Jim Carrey, who was red hot at the time, the biggest movie star maybe in the world at that time, comes in and plays the Riddler and basically does everything you think he would do with that character. Tommy Lee Jones comes in and really, I think, does an underrated job as the Two-Face character yeah. in this one. And then you also had Nicole Kidman in this movie. Um, and, again, this movie... Um, broke the opening weekend record with like 52 million, which was held by Jurassic Park for a couple of years. Um, so initially it was well received. It came out big. They, the promotion for this was again really big. I mean, Seal had the number one song in America, Kiss from a Rose, that was featured in this movie. Um, but this is where the movie series kind of changed. And I don't know, I, I guess for me, I still remember the feeling as a, as a comic book kid watching this, I was excited because we were actually getting our first portrayal of Robin on the big screen because that was kind of the battle. How were they going to bring Robin into a Batman world? Was it going to work? How were they going to make it fixed? And I was excited about it. And, you know, I wasn't necessarily against the Chris O'Donnell portrayal of Robin in this. It was definitely a much older version of Robin. Um, But I don't know. This movie, this was kind of beginning to turn tied here for Batman in the, in the cinematic world. Um, what are your thoughts about Batman Forever? I I thought it was a great movie. I've, I've always enjoyed this film. Jim Carrey's portrayal of the Riddler is one of my favorite portrayals of any villain in comic book film. Yes, it's campy and absolutely ridiculous, but in a lot of the arcs, that's what Riddler is. It's just like being confusing for the sake of doing it. And it's, I've always enjoyed that character and to see Carrie's take on it was fantastic. I didn't think Val Kilmer did a bad job in this movie. I thought he was, thought he was decent, but you're also, you also went from is Adam or not Adam West, is Michael Keaton going to be a good Batman to he is a great Batman. Ooh, he did even better in the second movie. Oh, we're getting rid of him. You, you've got to fight against that as well. Yeah. Well, it was it was one of the biggest movies of the year, 
Um, finished overall number two behind Toy Story that year as far as what it earned domestically. But, uh, again, it was a change of the times. Uh, went with a little bit um, – I think Elliot Goldenthal did the score. So the score, I think, was actually really good for this one, too. It was a little bit changed, um, but I liked it. And, um, you know, arguably, I would say my favorite highlight of the whole movie, sad to say, but true. But it's probably the very end of the movie when you see the silhouette of Batman and Robin running in front of the bat signal. That, to me, was like, that was like a comic book-like, you know, moment right there. Um, so again, it, it kind of did what it did. And so now we kind of get an idea where the movie franchise is going and boy, did they really kind of top things off in 1997 when they came out with Batman and Robin and this thing really kind of went all kind of directions. First and foremost, Val Kilmer steps away because of some differences he had with Schumacher and making the previous film. And, and probably to this date, maybe the worst casting decision of a Batman so far as they go with the uh, heavy popular TV George Clooney at the time to come in and re- replace Keaton, replace Kilmer. And it just, I didn't think it was going to work before I even saw the movie. And then when I saw the movie, I was like, oh my gosh, it was just, it was almost kind of like you just feel you filled the movie up with uh, a poison medicine that was going to just doom it from the get-go. Um, they cast Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze, who was way over the top as Mr. Freeze. Uma Thurman at Poison Ivy. Um, this movie probably universally gets the most junk dumped on it because it was probably the worst of all the Batman movies to date. Um, it really did not do well at the box office at all. And, uh, I don't know, Alan. I did, you know, they tried to introduce Batgirl with Alicia Silverstone, but it was not the original Batgirl's origin. I mean, it just it was a hot mess. That's yeah. all I can say about it. It's it's a hot mess, and you you made all those complaints without even uh, bringing up the bat nipples costume. Oh yeah, the it, bat credit card. Just everything. Just they were so over the top. It, it was bat everything. But, and it I think that was just a case where Joel Schumacher knew this. Okay, I'm not going to be making any more Batman movies after this. Let's just let's just do it as crazy as all. And it was, and it was, it was off. I I, I wouldn't have even bought it. I don't even think it was so bad it didn't even make the five dollar bin at Walmart. I mean, it's that bad. Um, and I don't even know if I would have bought it at five dollars at the time. Um, but it definitely kind of put a really bad feeling to like we said that that particular franchise at the time. It was the fourth movie, and it, it felt like it was nowhere near even close to the very first movie in 89. So we felt like, number one, as combo fans, we were really left disappointed because we never got to see that that story arc flesh out. And it was kind of left left to die, more or less. Yeah. Um. So that well, was in 1997. And, and again, it was, oh, man, I mean, it was crazy. It's crazy to think about it. Uh, uh, how much damage it really did to the Batman character. Well, Alan, we fast forward and we go all the way to 2005. And I remember when they first came out with the announcement, they were going to do a new Batman movie. And I was thinking, Oh man, a lot of pressure here. because Not only do you have to make people forget about the last two movies that came out, especially the last one, Batman and Robin, you really have got to nail this approach. You have got to stick the landing. You've got to make sure that you carve out everything that you want to carve out into, I don't want to say a perfect Batman movie, but a near perfect Batman movie, because it's got to be totally different. It's got to be something that 
was different even than what Tim Burton did. And man, Batman Begins, it comes out in 2005. And this is one of my all-time favorite Batman movies. Um, first and foremost, my, uh, Christopher Nolan, who never does any movie on a small scale. <laughs> Everything is an IMAX camera. It does not matter what the movie is. Yes. And, and, and again, this was, this was a, a movie that, um, again, a lot of people were hesitant about. They didn't, they didn't really know. They didn't really know what it was going to be. And, you know, I think if you take away that last, that last movie of, if you, if you would have ended that previous series with Batman forever, I think this movie probably makes more money um, than yeah, it did in 2005. I think it was definitely hurt by that last one. But, man, listen to this cast, man. You get Christian Bale, who I thought was a great, you know, he was a great casting at the time for Bruce Wayne Batman. You get Michael Caine as Alfred. Gary Oldman, who I thought had a great story arc as Commissioner Gordon. Uh, Morgan Freeman, one of my favorite characters in the comics was Lucius Fox, who worked at Wayne Enterprises. Morgan Freeman comes in. Does, he just kills it, nails that that role. Um, so it was really a great cast. But we, went, we got a totally different take now because we get to see the essentially how Batman literally begins. We see how he was a young man, how he was frustrated with things, how things happened back in Gotham. He, he, he leaves Gotham. He goes into this, this training, um, this really stylized training, uh, lost in the, uh, in, in the Swiss house somewhere and becomes a, a totally different kind of movie because we don't see Batman for almost the first whole hour of the movie. We see Bruce Wayne's story arc, which I, this is why I love this whole trilogy because we really get to see a Bruce Wayne story fleshed out. Um, not so much as just him being Batman, but just him as a growth of a character and a person and where he has to be. And we see, uh, we see the great, you know, the great chemistry that goes on in this movie. Um, all the things that work, you know, Liam Neeson is Ra's al Ghul, who was a great Batman villain. I love the twist to this movie with that character. Um, but this movie was awesome, Alan, the, the, the scene, the scope, there's one like, circling shot of Batman just standing outside on the tower of this skyscraper that was like so freaking Batman. <laughs> it just it was perfect. Um you know we got the most uh devastating version of the Batmobile ever <laughs> in an assault vehicle. It, um, it was brutal. And uh, probably the most brutal Batmobile chase scene up to this point that we've seen. So what were your thoughts about this Christopher Nolan's version and vision of Batman begins? I I love Christopher Nolan. I he's done incredible stuff. Through I mean we've seen Interstellar, we've seen Inception, we've seen uh, we've seen Tenet, we've seen the movies he's done after this. These were the movies he did so he could do those movies. The and Batman Begins, he didn't just take it as okay. I have to make this film so I can go make the movies I want. He went. I'm going to make this film. It's going to be the best Batman movie you've ever seen. And then I will go do Inception in five years. Yep. But what you're talking about, you don't see Bruce Wayne for the first hour. Or I mean, you don't see Batman for the first hour of this movie. It did what um, what Spider-Man has done recently in the MCU. The end of, uh, well, the beginning of the first two iterations of Spider-Man 
uh, the Tobey Maguire one and the Andrew Garfield one. And it got made fun of a lot. It's like, okay, cool. Let's see what's going to happen here. He's going to have a normal life. Get uh, Uncle Ben's going to die, get bit by a spider, and then become Spider-Man. And they brush over that in like 15 minutes. Um, what the MCU has done as they is they've gone to the end of the third movie. Then you realize, oh wait, Aunt May is this Peter's Uncle Ben. And for three movies, we've been watching the origin story. Yeah. Like taking it slow and methodical, and especially with how Christopher Nolan does movies, like everything means something. He took Raza Ghoul, which if you're a com- if you're really into the Batman comics, you know who this character is. You he's a big deal. But at the same time, he's not the Joker, he's not the Riddler, he's not Penguin, he's not Yeah. He's not the ones you think of. And it's like, okay, we're bringing Batman back for the first time in darn near a decade. And we're going to introduce you to a villain that 70% of you don't even know who this is. And it worked. Yeah. And the thing about it was, is that, again, you take away a lot of the, the, the camp that was the Schumacher films. You take away a little bit of the over the top, which was the Burton films you keep everything grounded. What would Batman be like in modern day times? And we're talking 2005 now. Um, and I think that's what we got. We got the most grounded Batman we have ever seen. And don't forget Hans Zimmer's epic score too. Now his watching these, watching these three Nolan movies in the films with that soundtrack, man, you could feel it, man. It would just like, it would make your heart beat uh, really, really deep. But Batman begins goes on to be a really big success. It was a critical success. Financially, it wasn't the biggest success of all time, but it did kind of do the job of, okay, let's make you forget about what you last saw and let's get you ready for what's to come in the future. And that takes us right into the dark night, which is really three years later, what's the epitome of a, of a book movie esque situation was to be. And really to this date, probably the, and you would probably get this, assessed by most people the the best batman movie that's been done ever on screen um and a lot of that has to do not so much with even batman but again another villain that really made the movie and that was heath ledger a guy who was cast as the joker and nobody thought that that was gonna work and he took the joker from what we had seen in the past and went in a totally different direction with this. And it really made the whole story of the movie arc interesting because it did throw questions back to other questions. It did revert to other things and it made you have to kind of like analyze a little bit harder about situations and how things were run through businesses, through corporations, through the police, through the government, all that stuff like that. So it was really it was really a big psychological kind of movie as well. Um, it does flesh out Bruce Wayne a little bit more. Uh, it gives him a, a chance to grow some. It does make the Batman character a little bit more steady. Batman go over, overseas in this movie, which mm-hmm. was really cool. Um, but yeah, this movie goes on to really be, um, it really becomes a, a, a deal breaker. It ended up finishing with $533 million um, worldwide which again we've seen some crazy numbers in the last uh, 
you know, six or seven years with movies, comic book movies. But to this date, it's still the, 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 the biggest bat movie to date, $533 million, Alan. And, and again, I think Nolan did the job here. The, two things about this movie for me, and again, I, I still hold it up there in my number one spot too, but the two things about this movie that kind of hurt the overall effect going forward with this franchise which I'm, I'm not going to displace what happened in Dark Knight Rises because I actually kind of like that movie too. But this movie and that movie kind of shared in some of the same things I had a problem with. You know, and the, really the one problem I have that could be helped is Heath Ledger um, passes away during the filming of the movie and he doesn't really get to finish filming out his story arc. We're, we're kind of left with a little bit of an open-ended conversation about, okay, where does his where does his character go? Because they didn't kill him off as many of these superhero villains get <laughs> dealt with in these movies. Um, we didn't get a really closure to that storyline. And then we had the, the kind of the Harvey Dent story, which was good and the build was good, but we've basically got a spoonful of Two-Face and the Two-Face villain is such a great villain that I really believe that Two-Face would have been better set up to come into play in the third movie instead of Bane because he could have been the same kind of crime over overlord and could have really taken it into another direction. I get why they did what they did, but that that's really the only negative thing I say about this movie is because you kind of shoehorn another villain in there, and maybe they did that because they just they had another place they were going with the Joker and they had to do something to give yeah, something. They had to set something up. So, I mean, that's, that's really the only negative thing I have about it. Obviously losing Keith Ledger, we'll never know where that character could have gone. It would have been hard pressed for them not to bring him back <laughs> in some yeah. fashion. Um, but really it was a great, it was a great movie. No, I, the dark Knight is fantastic. It's not, not only is it, one of the best superhero movies of all time, one of the best comic movies of all time. It's just one of the best films of all time, period. It's, cinematically speaking, it is almost perfect in a lot of ways. Yeah. And to see this, that gritty take from Batman Begins still progressing into this movie, what Heath Ledger was able to do in the role, in the scenes they filmed, and also a lot of the stuff that made Joker so interesting in this movie was not intentional it was Heath Ledger was so was so into method acting yeah that if the regardless if the camera was rolling or not he was going to continue doing something we all think about that scene when he blows up the hospital yeah and like the remote's just not working he's just sitting in the middle of the street just tapping the button over and over again because that's what he thought <laughs> that character would be doing if it wasn't going if it wasn't going off yeah it it was super interesting to see what he was able to do and still got he got a posthumous oscar for this movie yeah he, well he was incredible in that role and two-face was still it didn't feel really all that shoehorned as much as it was like i feel like they were going to put this villain in the movie anyway but it added more weight when you get 75, 85% of the Joker stuff you wanted than to have to kind of leave it open-ended and move on. 
Yeah. Well, and the fact that, you know, like I said, if they would have left it with the Joker leaving him in the bed, you know, having that conversation with him that really kind of pushed him over the edge. If they would have left it like that and then you come back, you bring Two-Face in and carries carries over into that Dark Knight Rises story, which I think you could have actually put a redemption spin on Two-Face in that movie. You could have had him as an established villain and what he's been able to do and Batman really hurt by that connection and what happened because he couldn't, you know, that was always a struggle in that relationship. Um, he still I, felt like it was his a, lot of, a lot of things, a lot of things that could have happened, but it was what it was. It goes on to be a smash hit and really, really kind of put the bar extremely high. And we come to find out uh, that was in 2012. And then we come to find out that in, I mean, excuse me, 2008. And in 2012 is when we have the Dark Knight Rises, which this was going to be the final part of the Batman trilogy. Interesting enough, um, Dark Knight kind of picks up where Batman Begins leaves off um, because there was a tip of the hat to the Joker at the end of Batman Begins. That's where we run in the Dark Knight. Dark Knight Rises chose a different path. It goes ahead in the future. Batman um, basically has kind of disappeared. He's kind of broken. He's kind of wore down. We kind of see him kind of really in the background, more or less. Gotham is kind of gotten to the point where they they've cleaned up the city and cleaned up the streets everything kind of seems like it's hunky-dory and then we get introduced to the character of bane now he had a terrible terrible uh portrayal in the batman and robin movie but comes back and i thought really they nailed this interpretation tom hardy i thought did a great job because he was gonna have to have a mask on the whole movie you're never gonna you're never gonna see his, his like his lips move or anything like that but man, he acted with his eyes so well. He was such a dominating, intimidating presence, which is what that character was. It was created to be. And we see this kind of takeover from within of Gotham City and this massive plan that gets hatched out. And, you know, we, we get to see him breaking Batman literally and doing away with him. And he ships Batman back to the prison that he was in and, Kind of that's that's kind of where we see Batman's story kind of evolve, and again Bruce Wayne as well because he's he's a broken person at this time, and will he will he be able to come back? And then we see uh, the Catwoman character who also also kind of had a little bit of a different story arc here. We get introduced to her by Anne Hathaway. She's more of the crime uh, oriented burglar, but again we we kind of see a little bit different take of her. And uh, again, this movie. Did really well at the box office, made a lot of money, $448 million domestically, which was huge. Um, but uh, this, when you talk to people, there's probably a mixed reaction from this movie on, on how it was received. Um, some loved it, some didn't. And, but I think a lot of it was based on the fact that Dark Knight was so good. So it was really hard to have a really strong, strong follow-up. But I thought from... A story art, I think they rounded out Batman's story and Bruce Wayne's story pretty well. Yeah, I, I thought it was fantastic to see these three movies interconnected in a perfect way. This is beginning, middle, end, and uh like my my thing is whether it's uh cause or just happenstance, the best trilogies in my book, typically the middle movie is the best movie. 
So uh, with Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back is, yeah, I would argue the best of the three. And then Indiana Jones as well. That's another example of it. And just any major film trilogy you can think yeah. of. The majority of the time, the middle film is the one where it's like they fleshed out everything they wanted. They're going to tell a contained story, but set something up for a third movie. Yeah. They're not having to put you into the into the world or close you out of the world. You are firmly in it and you're telling a story within this world. Yeah. And Dark Knight does fantastic in that. But Dark Knight Rises was not terrible. It's no. by no, by no means. Bane was great. Tom Hardy was fantastic in this role. He's and seeing seeing him play Venom is kind of uh, <laughs> made it made it a little sad <laughs> to know that he could be this good and this movie is written so terrible. Yeah, but uh, he's he's fantastic in this. And you you mentioned you when I think of the Dark Knight trilogy, I think of two scenes or three scenes in particular. You mentioned the two of them in the Dark Knight, where or I mentioned the hospital scene. You met you mentioned the Two Face scene in the hospital bed. But you mentioned the other one, the one in The Dark Knight Rises, where Batman literally has his back broken by Bane. And to have that played out on cinema, that's right off the pages. To see that played out and fleshed out and seeing what this character has endured for the two movies we've seen and the however, I forgot how long the time jump was, but however long the time jump was that we did it. Yeah, we, we know how bad it was when we saw it. So how bad was it in the time we didn't see? Yeah, because he was he was at his point. He was broken. He was depressed. He was hiding away up in the uh, top floor of uh, Wayne. And he, he's always been a recluse. That's not like part part of Bruce Wayne is he's a reclusive billionaire a lot of the time. Well, in, in the end of Dark Knight, he was on the run, too. So yes. We don't know exactly what the toll was on that. The only thing about Dark Knight Rises that kind of left me scratching my head, because I know it was done in the, in the efforts of, of preserving time, was he worked so hard. We spent all this time getting him out of this prison, out of this this cave, this tunnel, whatever. And then it's like, okay, can we not see how he actually got back to Gotham City? Because he had no transportation. <laughs> yeah, they were just okay. Bridges were blown up away so there was no access to the city so how does he show up in the city didn't he like outrun a nuke or something like that i don't know man there was some, <laughs> something like that. there was some little plot holes to it that was just like oh, okay i see what you did there you're just trying to skip ahead it basically became a tv series for like 15 minutes trying to get yeah. you ahead to the moment but i want to see the uh i want to see the edit of this movie where anytime there's a logic gap like that they just put the adam west like over it well, and, and again, uh, I, I think the trilogy as a whole really stands stands on its own, and it really was done well by Christopher Nolan. And I thought Christian Bale did a great job. I think he did a great yeah. job of fleshing out Batman's art, but also Bruce Wayne's art, because it really was a Bruce Wayne trilogy, if you think about it, yeah. going back to the very first movie. Um, so I think that was really good. Um, so we go to 2012 now, and we have Dark Knight Rises, and now it's okay. All right, so... Are we going to have another Batman movie? Who's going to be Batman again? What's going to happen? I don't think anybody was really anticipating that the next portrayal of Batman on the big screen was going to be in the form of a Batman versus Superman movie. And this, for a lot of comic book people, including myself, really got my my, my bat radar fired up because ultimately in the great comic by Frank Miller, you know, we see Batman and Superman collide in that story. 
Uh, but this was going to be a little bit of a different take. And this was going to introduce Zack Snyder into the Batman world. And Alan, we, we're kind of running a little bit short on time. So we're going to kind of lump in two movies together as we talk about this. But mainly it's Batman versus Superman. Um, I, I want to close out with this one. We'll, we'll leave Justice League for what it is because that does have the Batman character in it. But we're going to kind of close out this Batman movie talk with this movie because First of all, I think this movie is very underappreciated, especially if you if you don't if you haven't seen the extended edition. That's the movie that you need to watch. If you watch the extended edition of Batman vs Superman: Dawn of Justice, you'll really, really, really like this movie a lot more. But I've always thought Henry Cavill was a great casting of Superman. I thought he was a good Superman, and really Ben Affleck. A lot of people again question the casting of this, but man, he did a phenomenal job. And and again, he to me was probably a better Batman than he was a Bruce Wayne, but we never really had the chance to see his whole story fleshed out because we got him kind of brought into the mix here. And he's, he's kind of a a Batman with a reckoning. Now he's a little bit more of an older Batman. He's gone through all the battles and wars. He's a seasoned Batman. He's, he's kind of the mid, the mid age Batman. Um, But now he views Superman as a human, as a huge threat. Uh, This God among men that can destroy buildings <laughs> with ease and is, is really a source of conflict in this movie. And I thought it was really well fleshed out. I thought the action scenes, maybe the best Batman fight scene ever is the warehouse Batman scene. Um, when he comes in, um, I thought everything really worked in this movie. And also we got introduced to wonder woman. So we got the DC comics version of the comic book Trinity on, on screen together, which was really cool. Um, what do you think about Batman versus Superman and the standings of these Batman movies that we've talked about? Obviously I think Ben Affleck deserves a lot of credit. Cause I thought he did a really good job. I thought he was fine. It was the problem was uh, Batman joining in Batman V Superman was very similar to how uh, the Marvel cinematic universe introduced Spider-Man in the middle of civil war. Yeah. It, it's like, okay, you know, the story at this point, like we don't need to go over, Oh, uh, Martha, we don't have to go over Martha's pearls and the trials and tribulations of being Batman and dealing with Gotham City. You get it. Yep. So joining in and also this this movie I thought was funny because one of the biggest complaints about Man of Steel was that Superman was killing innocent people inadvertently. And they they made it a point to have the final battle in this movie on an island between Metropolis and Gotham City that they explicitly said was uninhabited. Yeah. I always found that funny. Yeah. It was, but it, it was great. Affleck was, I think Affleck was a fantastic Bruce Wayne. I thought he was really good at it. And he, he put this show together and the fight against the Batman V Superman, the comic, the, everything about it is interesting because on the surface, it's a hero disagreeing with another hero. Yeah. It's, it's something that's, it's living in the gray areas, and it's, it's good. Be, that was really how the story fleshed out in the comics, because yeah. their relationship was always rocky at best. But, ironically enough, the one person that Superman trusted with the ultimate weapon to take him out if he became rogue was Batman. Was Batman, because he, he knew that Batman has a moral code. He knows that he's not going to do anything. He doesn't think people deserve. He's not going to kill anybody. Yep. It, 
at least in theory. It that's that's where everything comes into play. And I'm and to see it all and to know it was a bit rushed because the DCEU was trying to become the MCU in much less yeah, time. They were playing catch up. They they were trying to fast track a bunch of things. And you I mean you see I mean you see Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman in this movie, but they tease uh Flash and several other characters as well. Well so, like I said, we do we do get to see him portrayed in the Justice League movie, which again that the version you need to see of that is the Zack Snyder version for sure. Yeah. The masterpiece. But um Forget the thought, but I thought Ben Affleck, you know, and, and the and the word was he was going to continue on. He was basically going to be the guy to do this next standalone Batman movie, but things didn't work out. Uh, things kind of fell apart. And Warner Brothers as a whole, as a movie studio, has had a lot of issues with these movies in the past when it comes to planning out and strategies. And sometimes the strategies are left scratching your head. So, um, you know, hopefully we'll get to see Ben Affleck's story kind of round out. I think he's going to be in the new Flash movie. Yeah. He's both in the flash. So yeah, that's his kind of final send off, I think. Um, but I thought in this movie, again, I it's underrated. It gets a lot of undue criticism. I thought it was well done. I thought it was great. It, it was. It has know, some. It has some narrative gaps. Like much like we were talking about the Dark Knight Rise, it's like yeah. uh, the whole Martha thing. Just yeah. the happening that Clark and Bruce had the had their mothers had the same name, and that's the reason that. Batman stops beating up Superman is a bit far-fetched, but things like that are fine. It's, and I thought they've done good. They've done good in the past. And also around this same time, uh, they decided to, and I thought this was very smart around this same time. They were like, this is the serious Batman. We're going to bring in Lego Batman to go be the campy side of everything. So it's, you can have both, but they don't have to necessarily intertwine. Oh, definitely. And, and again, I think it was, it was just a situation where I think, you know, there's a lot of things that they could have done different to build. And it was kind of like, we skipped two movies to get to a movie. And this was kind of like the third movie in, <laughs> in a series that it's like, Oh, wait a minute. What happened before this? Um, even it's like, we, we needed like two more Superman movies and three Batman movies before this. Yeah. It's like, it, it was really like a sequel to man of steel, but it, it was, you know, it was like, I don't know. It just that whole time frame was very confusing with their their plan. And again, they tried to bum rush Justice League into the theaters to rival Avengers, and it just wasn't done well as far as timing wise. Although I do say the Snyder Cut really kind of redeemed the Justice League movie value of itself because that's that's just great artwork. Um, Alan, we're going to close out here. We got a couple of minutes left. We've kind of gone through all of the Batman live action movies chronological order we've kind of given our takes and thoughts on them uh, i'm gonna put you on the spot here we're gonna give you a couple of final questions here to think about number one i want you to tell me your favorite live action batman actor i also want you to give me your favorite live action batman movie here and then um going forward what are your thoughts for the batman franchise so um while you think about that i'm gonna go ahead and do mine all right so you'll have time to kind of flush out uh, what you want to say there. Um, as far as favorite Batman um, actor and portrayal, and I look at it as a whole piece, Batman, Bruce Wayne. Uh, I'm going to go with Christian Bale just because I felt like to this point, his story 
was the only full story that was fleshed out. The whole story arc that was rounded out. We've got everything that we needed to know about his story. Not only is Bruce Wayne in his Batman, and I thought he did a good job. Now his Batman voice did get on my nerves from Dark Knight Rises, um, but as a whole uh, of of Batman, he to this point has been my favorite live action Batman. Um, and you know, I'll be honest with you, I love Dark Knight, and I probably on some days when I wake up would probably say it's my favorite Batman movie, but I'm telling you, man, growing up 1989, the summer of 89, it was the greatest summer of movie blockbusters ever. The buildup, the hype, the merchandise, the music, everything, the soundtrack, everything that was Batman 1989, it's hard for me to bury that movie and, and not put it number one. Um, so that's going to be my number one live action Batman. So what about you? Uh, I think I'm going to echo very similar sentiments. I think Christian Bale was very much helped out by the fact that Christopher Nolan directed the entire trilogy. That's to, to this point, uh, the only time that a director and a Batman have stayed the same for the length of what they wanted. Uh, so the vision was fleshed out from start to finish. And I thought very well done. Christian Bale is incredible. Although I will say from all the test screenings, the uh, the trailer footage and reviews and that I've seen so far for the Batman that comes out later this week, I have a very good feeling that Robert Pattinson will rival Christian Bale for me by Friday. Yeah. I, I think he's got a very good chance of doing that. Uh, I will say, however, yeah, very good, uh, very clever on you to say live action because Will Arnett has been <laughs> my favorite Batman so far. Uh, I love, and I love Kevin Conroy, who was the voice of the animated Batman. Um, Dark, it's, it's just hard for me to pick against the Dark Knight. Yeah. It's so good. And I, I love that portrayal of the Joker. And that's, it's one of the more brutal portrayals of a Batman villain. Yeah. It's, I think about that. The the thing about the the Nolan trilogy is the opening scenes in all three movies are absolute masterpieces. Yes. The the Dark Knight Rises has that plain sequence with Bane, which I still find funny that they had a mask over his head, took it off, and then realized it was Bane. Yeah. Uh, I still find that hilarious. But the scene in the Dark Knight where all the guys in the underworld in Gotham are sitting around the table, the Joker walks in and puts the guy's uh, pencil through the guy's head. Yep. Is one of the most brutal things I have seen in film. And this is like, oh, we are three minutes into this movie. <laughs> it's so good. It is good, man. And I tell you what, man, we're about to run out of time here, but I, I tell you, I've enjoyed this conversation, man. I love talking about these movies and fleshing it out and there are definitely some other trails we can go down but uh yeah just give me uh give me the batman 2 with robert pattinson when this ultimately makes a billion dollars and make make the long halloween for me no doubt man hey alan man i appreciate it as always man thank you so much for taking some time to talk with me about this and uh hope you enjoy the movie man we'll talk to you soon see you all right alan ellis joining me here best of batman movie talk yep that's what we did hope you guys enjoyed it we'll talk to you soon